You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Everybody, good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside nobody tonight. Shout out Gabe Flayton backstage producing for us here in the studio. I am going in alone. No James or Kyle Russo tonight. We hope to have them back next week. But we have an action-packed sh- show in store for everybody tonight. Chris Ryan, special guest. He is a New York Jets reporter for New Jersey Advanced Media. He will join us approximately at 7.05 p.m. Definitely looking forward to having him on. Give us a follow at Review and Preview Sports. Like and subscribe to us here on Facebook. We'll get that ticker up running for you. Um, Like us on Instagram or follow us on Instagram, I should say, at Review and Preview. And subscribe to our podcast on the Anchor. That is anchor.fm slash review and preview. Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate you all joining me tonight. So uh, we're going to have a lot of guests on tonight. And before Chris Ryan comes on, I just want to talk about the Jets game quick. Um, So obviously the Jets played Thursday night, and that was a brutal game for them against the Denver Broncos. They fell to 0-4 on the season. Uh, The Jets fall 37-28. First drive of the game, Sam Darnold has a 46-yard touchdown rush giving the Jets a 7-0 lead, but then Denver would go ahead and take a 10-7 lead uh, later on, early on in the game in the second quarter. Brett Reapian making his first NFL start. I believe his uncle was Mark Reapian, who played in the NFL a few decades ago. Um, fun fact about this game, how bad is Pierre Desir? Well, The guy has five interceptions in his last six games. However, he got blown up by Jerry Judy early on in this game. Judy had a monstrous touchdown against the Jets. And it was crazy because uh, the Jets were able to get back into the game because Brett Reapian threw an interception to Pierre Desir. Had a Jekyll and Hyde type of night, I'd like to say, setting up a Sam Thicken field goal. Uh, The Broncos then drove down the field 80 yards for a one-yard Melvin Gordon touchdown run, jumping out in front of the Jets 17-13 at halftime. Then, right after that, Denver, in control of this game, the Jets cut it down to one. They cut it down to one, 17-16, and... Brett Reapian comes back firing a touchdown pass to Tim Patrick, who had over 100 receiving yards. I'm pretty sure that's the first 100-yard receiver against the Jets this year. Same thing for Melvin Gordon, first 100-yard rusher against the Jets. So all those moving parts into this game. Uh, up 24-16 to late, Brandon McManus would drill a 54-yard field goal, putting Denver up by 11. And then the Jets would open up. The fourth quarter with Sam Ficken responding with a 54-yarder of his own, so they matched each other. Uh, And then down 27-19, Pierre Desir with another interception, bringing the Jets back into the game, his second of the contest, but they did fail the two-point conversion on a pass intended for Chris Herndon. 
The lead kind of went back and forth in this game, folks. It was definitely hard to read, but eventually Denver took a 30-28 to lead, and then there was no looking back. Melvin Gordon put his foot on the gas, plummeted for a 43-yard touchdown run with two minutes left in the game. And it was crazy because the Jets really had no uh, you know, answer for Denver, another winless team. And now, um, you know, the Jets releasing Kalen Balaj on Monday. So there's definitely an issue there trying to find, you know, a replacement for Le'Veon Bell. But enough on them. Let's make it about our guest right now, who is here backstage. And joining me now is New York Jets reporter from New Jersey, Advanced Media, Chris Ryan. Chris, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. Appreciate the time. Anytime. Good to see you. So my first question to you is obviously you're a reporter for the Jets at New Jersey Advanced Media. Uh, the Jets are not off to a good start, though, this year. They're 0-4 for the second straight season. First time in team history. What specifically has stood out to you as the biggest issue for this team over the first few weeks? It's kind of twofold on both sides of the ball. I mean, their offense hasn't been able to generate really anything. I mean, I mean, they haven't gotten anything in the running game. Darnold has been inconsistent when he's been on the field. And then defensively, um, a season ago, they were kind of able to hang in games because their defense played well. Um, they gave their offense a chance when they did get the ball and were able to put a few points on the board. But now uh, they're getting gashed by pretty much every team they play. They're getting up the yards. They're making dumb penalties. And it's all added up to really a lot of uncompetitive football so far. I agree 100%. I know the Jets did have a lot of penalties in Thursday night's game, despite I don't think they committed any turnovers, which was a plus. Um, but a lot of Jet fans are beginning to run out of patience with head coach Adam Gase. And I think every Jet fan wants to know uh, this question. Despite only being the coach for a little bit over a year now, what is the leash on him at this point? Do you think he makes it to the end of the season? At this point, I, I think he will um, just because, I mean, if they didn't make the change after a kind of a long week and an 0-4 start pretty much the worst thing they could possibly do out of the gate, um, I, I think they'll give him the rest of the year just to see if he can gain any traction. I, I mean, they've dealt with a ton of injuries, too, and I think they do want to see what his offense looks like when they have a healthy lady on Bell, a Brashad Perryman, a Denzel Mims, probably more importantly. Um, so maybe if you get him back and he shows that, hey, we're going to gain a little bit of traction because, I mean, this team wasn't going to contend for a Super Bowl this year if everything went well. Um, so I, I think partially you just kind of want to see if Darnold can progress when he's healthy, um, if the offense gained a little bit of traction. And uh, it'll all depend on what they do over the final 12 weeks. So I, I think Gates will kind of hang around and then, if they don't see anything, they can make a change uh, in the offseason. I agree with you 100%. The wide receiving core has been banged up. They haven't had Denzel Mims. I know Crowder missed a game or two, so having him back is good. And uh, Folks, if you're watching, have any comments, feel free to ask Chris Ryan. He is here. Uh, you can go follow him on Twitter as well. Uh, reporting all things New York Jets. Um, and I know I think he made a hockey tweet last night as uh, <laughs> the NHL entry draft. But um, I want to ask you a question about Sam Darnold. He had a really sweet 40-yard touchdown rush in this game, uh, led the team with 84 rushing yards, which is clearly a problem. Uh, but he did suffer an AC joint injury, and now it looks like Joe Flacco will be starting this weekend. What are your thoughts on Darnold's injury and Joe Flacco being the Week 5 starter? 
Um, certainly just kind of a tough injury with it coming to his throwing shoulders. So that that's the main issue right now, just him being able to get a ball in his hand and throw comfortably and not be in pain. And uh, at this point, he's still dealing with a good amount of discomfort, some pain there. So, uh, I mean, with the Jets where they are, they don't have a ton of, of incentive to rush him back. I know they want him to play and continue to grow and develop, but um, it, it's more important to get him healthy at this point. And, that's part of the reason why they signed Joe Flacco. Unfortunately, Darnold has missed time each of his now three seasons. And um, last year, they kind of fell apart because they didn't have a reliable backup. And um, at least with Flacco, you can kind of know what you're getting and turn the ball over to him and, you know, get respectable professional quarterbacking for at least one week until Darnold is ready. I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. I know Flacco was sprinkled in a little bit uh, for Darnold on Thursday night's game, and he looked pretty decent in the few plays that he was in there. Uh, but this is kind of like a homecoming for Joe Flacco in a sense. He's a New Jersey kid, grew up near the Philadelphia area in South Jersey. I heard a report from Connor Hughes on Twitter that he had butterflies today at practice. Um, so it'll definitely be interesting to see how he performs on Sunday. I know, uh, you know, he started a few games for the Broncos last year. Um, but back to Sam Darnold, because I think this is really an issue a lot of Jet fans want to know. Um, according to Pro Football Focus, he is the 30th ranked quarterback right now. Um, couldn't do enough to get the win uh, on Thursday night. Do you think the Jets stick with him after this year? I know you brought up a lot of good points about how Adam Gase, they want to find out how he is when the offense is fully healthy. It's a good question, and I, I think it almost honestly depends where they land in the draft. I mean, if they find themselves picking number one um, because of where they finish and Trevor Lawrence is sitting right there, I, it's going to be tough to um, kind of say no to that and um, not add him to the team, even if you still think Darnold has a lot of potential. I mean, he's just a special prospect and a guy who could turn things around, and the Jets have a lot of other draft capital that they could build around him pretty quickly with. Um, so I, I think if they end up at the one spot, it's a big question. If not, um, Darnold comes back and they win a few games this year and he shows progress. Um, I, I think maybe you can go um, into next season, um, show with a little bit of flexibility if it, things don't work out, but you can spend the offseason kind of upgrading what's around him, getting him a few more wide receivers, and will be in year two, um, continue to upgrade the offensive line and see if that does help him because, uh, we've seen in Buffalo what they did for Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. They got, they got better on offense and um, have allowed him to take another step. So maybe Darnold just needs that and um, things should happen for him. But uh, still a little bit too early to tell what, which way they'll go with that. I agree with you 100%. Um, and one thing on this graphic I just wanted to point out, only 17 of his 128 pass attempts over 20 yards. I do think, to your point, this has to do with not having his full um, you know, toolbox of wide receivers, which could definitely help him and the offensive line as well. Although I've got to say, I have been impressed with uh, Makai Becton, Chris, so far for this Jets team. Um, a guy that actually we have a comment here in the sec in the comment section from Tommy McNamara. Let's bring that up. Uh, if the Jets end up with the number one pick, do they take Trevor Lawrence or do they trade? the pick uh, again I, I think that goes back to what you think of Darnold and um, what he shows the rest of the season because in theory if you can trade that pick and uh, you're going to get a, a huge haul for that uh, which could help build around Darnold pretty quickly along with what the Jets already have with another first round pick uh, from Seattle 
uh, along with third round picks this year too. Um, so it, it depends on what's being offered and if they really think Darnold is the quarterback of the future. Um, that, that's pretty much what it will come down to. And it's kind of why the final 12 weeks will be so important for Darnold when he does get back in the field. I like that analysis you brought up there, Chris. And one wide receiver that, you know, I think he's developed some good chemistry with is Jamison Crowder. Uh, so far, so good this year. He's up there. Um, I believe PFF has him at number 20. At the moment, but who do you think the number two wide receiver option is? I know a lot of people, there was hype when they drafted Denzel Mims, but Jeff Smith made the most out of his opportunity last week. Definitely. And he looked really good in training camp, too. Um, with Perry, when Mims was banged up, Perryman was dealing with a knee injury. Uh, uh, aside from Crowder, Jeff Smith was probably the most consistent receiver in training camp. And um, I mean, he just played really well and it was unfortunately he went down with a shoulder injury at the end of camp, missed a couple of weeks, but, um, he comes right back. He, he didn't really practice last week after he came off IR cause they were playing a Thursday night game and he jumped right in, had a pretty good night. So, um, he, he's definitely been a guy that's uh, turned a few heads so far. And, um, if Perryman and Mims continue to be out, I mean, he's going to get that opportunity and it's kind of on him to make the most of it. So I know you brought up the offensive line as well and how they kind of retooled that in the offseason. Well, not kind of. They basically did, with the exception of Alex Lewis, who they re-signed, who I've been pretty impressed with so far out of the five. I think the left has been doing better than the right, in my opinion. Um, But the Broncos did have six sacks last week. Uh, Bradley Chubb and Josie Jewell were a big part of that. Um, Mekhi Becton only played 17 snaps in this game, and then George Fant with a thumb injury. What do you attribute the O-line struggles to last week specifically? I, I think you started getting to the point where injuries uh, kind of made a, a big toll. I mean, Beckton wasn't even supposed to play in that game to begin with. He only went in um, when Doga went down with a shoulder injury on the first drive, and they kind of forced him into action. And before they figured out, hey, he, this guy can't go right now, and uh, they turned to Connor McDermott. So um, Beckton has been far away their best offensive lineman so far. And when he's out of the game, it kind of puts a little bit more pressure on the rest of the line. George Fan gets banged up. And um, I mean, with Connor McGovern and um, Greg Van Roden, they, they've kind of had a little bit of a rocky start so far, giving up a lot of pressure. So I, I think it was kind of a combination of everything kind of going against them. And um, they were trailing most of the game, had to throw, and it was just kind of a recipe for disaster against a good Denver front couple more comments here. Tom says, I say trade it and get Eric Bienemy as the coach. And then Gabe says, isn't it concerning that Becton isn't NFL starter ready? Huh. Interesting. Well, well with Becton, he, he is starter ready. The only reason he wasn't in the game is because he was dealing with a shoulder injury. And um, he had that leading into the game, tried to play yeah. through it and just couldn't go. Um, what he's been on the field, he's been terrific. And, um, so far, it looks like they just have gotten everything they could have wanted out of that 11th overall pick. Speaking of getting things that the Jets wanted in this game, they got a lot of it from the defense. I thought with the exception of the Pierre Desir mishap on, I believe it's the Jerry Judy touchdown, I thought the Jets' defense was pretty okay for the most part. I know giving up 37 points is no thing to um, be excited about, but they did pick off Brett Reapian three times, two from Desir. But again, they didn't have a single sack. They had trouble getting to him. What are your thoughts on this defense against an offense that didn't have Drew Locke, Cortland Sutton, or Philip Lindsay? 
yeah, it, it really was a wild game for Desir. Um He he gave up both Broncos touchdowns through the air. I, um, I think he gave up eight catches for I, I want to say up like 130 or so yards, um, and then had the two interceptions, including um, a touchdown too. So kind of a wild night for him. Um, but certainly you don't want them to be that inconsistent and be giving up that many big plays. But um, they've really struggled in coverage this year, and and the uh, front seven just hasn't generated enough pressure at all, and it's kind of cost them. Um, just the linebackers haven't, uh, they've been banged up as well, which is another issue entirely. But, um, Quinn and Williams had a, one good game a couple weeks ago in week two, it was against the 49ers. But other than that, um, that defensive line just can't get into the backfield and, uh, make a play on the quarterback. I think a guy like John Franklin Myers has been decent so far. I think he's made a play or two here and there. Do you think he's a guy that could potentially get some more reps as we head later on into the season? I think so. And, and with the way Greg Williams likes to run his defense, he's going to rotate guys in and out. And if you, and so you're going to get your opportunities and if you can make plays, he'll keep putting you in there. So um, again, like you mentioned, he, he has looked good. Um, kind of one of the key bright spots there in terms of what he's doing with his limited playing time. Um, I, I know he's dealing with a little bit of injury uh, last week. Um, so uh, I think he'll get a more of an opportunity going forward, especially if there is another injury up front too. So I know we've kind of flirted with the Pierre Desir um, performance, but I want to really hone in on that play, the touchdown he gave up to Jerry Judy. It definitely seemed like it could have been a lucky play, but can you just take us through that play for a minute and tell me what you saw specifically? Yeah, just from what I remember, it seemed like he had pretty good position um, just on the on the deep route down the right side um, and then kind of turned and he went for the interception, which, uh, I mean, you can't really blame a guy for doing that, but he allowed Judy just kind of overpower him. He went over the top and essentially ripped the ball out of his hands. And um, I mean, if you're a defensive back, your, your number one job is to make sure that ball doesn't land in the receiver's hands. So it, it's great to go for the pick, but you got to at least break it up if you can't bring it in yourself. And um, Judy ripped out and walked another two yards into the end zone. So uh, just to play that, he's got to be able to break up and not allow it to happen. Would you say that was probably the biggest miscue for the Jets that whole game, or was there something else specifically that stood out? Because I know the 11 penalties, too, were a lot. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that one play led to points more than any other, but I, I think all the personal fouls, I think they had five or six throughout the game. I think the final one didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But, um, I mean, when you're making that many personal fouls, they're penalties you can avoid, and, um, you're just giving teams 15 yards and a first down. And I think two of them, at least two of them came on third down. So drives that could have ended, they could have gotten off the field instead. The Broncos keep the ball and um, end up getting points out of itself. I mean, they're mistakes that can be prevented. And if you clean them up, they probably win that game if they don't make two or three of them. I think the Jets were definitely in that game. And it's a good sign moving forward, showing that they can compete um, even with a banged up lineup, considering a lot of, holes on that offense right now looking ahead Chris they have the Cardinals coming up this weekend Kyler Murray comes into town really good uh, dual threat type of quarterback what concerns you the most about him and this uh, Jets defense trying to contain him it's just that being able to contain him I mean you saw what Josh Allen did in week one they even then they were kind of getting into the pocket but Allen would just extend the play they couldn't bring him down um, he had a career day throwing and running the ball, and it, it just turned into a big issue for them. And uh, Kyler Murray obviously built the same way. A guy can, can move the ball with his feet and through the air. So it, it's going to be a matter of keeping him in the pocket, being able to get a little pressure on him, make him throw the ball instead of running it. 
Um, and if they can kind of contain him, they might have a chance. But again, he, he's off to start his uh, second NFL year. We have a couple more comments. Uh, Gabe, in retrospect, how would you grade the Jamal Adams trade? I, I, I still think you got to give Joe Douglas pretty good marks. I mean, if Adams was on this team right now, they'd be a little, they certainly would be better defensively. Uh, but you have to say that Marcus may have done a pretty good job stepping into his role. And I mean, I don't think he's making a giant difference in the win column at this point. And um, as we can clearly see, the Jets need a lot more help than um, just one pro all pro safety and getting two first round picks for him was um, a pretty big deal and something that they should be able to capitalize on in a couple of years. I do happen to like Marcus May a lot, by the way. I think he's a great player in that young secondary. Speaking of the secondary, another comment from Tom McNamara on Ashton Davis. Uh, Ashton, I he's missed a couple games with the groin injury. Um, I believe he was living in practice today. Um, I, I might be slightly off on that, but um, just because there's so many injuries he's been dealing with. But um, seems he, he was limited last week as well, so he seems to be working his way back. Um, I, I think he'll probably be pretty close. Uh, Domingo, who's been on IR all year, uh, returned to practice today. So hopefully you'll see him in a week or two. And then Cameron Clark, uh, still nursing a shoulder injury that he suffered in training camp. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that's been a big issue. Cameron Clark, rookie out of Charlotte, I believe. I know he uh, trying to help out with that offensive line, give them some good depth. Uh, but back to uh, Friday, um, Sunday's upcoming game against the Cardinals. Chris, another guy. Wide receiver who has been lights out this year is DeAndre Hopkins. He has 39 catches already through just four games and nearly 400 receiving yards through four weeks. What's the key to slowing him down? It's kind of just keeping him in front of you. I mean, he's going to get his catches. I mean, he's done it his entire career. Uh, From Houston, not Arizona, you you just don't want to let him beat you deep and uh, get more yards after the catch than he should because – I mean, he, he's, I mean, for a big guy, he's going to get a ton of targets, a ton of catches uh, in close and move the ball. So uh, it, it's just a matter of containing him and not letting him get the big plays, which, which is what he's really done since getting to Arizona this year, which is what made him even more dangerous than he might have been a year ago. I definitely think he's been a lethal weapon for them on pace to make 156 catches. But I think Brian Poole could potentially poise a challenge. Uh, really good in coverage, Chris. I like him as well. So we will see if they're able to slow down DeAndre Hopkins, who is very highly rated on pro football focus. Um, the Cardinals defense, they have four different players with at least two sacks. Devon Kennard being one of them, a guy who used to play in MetLife Stadium for the Giants. He's really good on the edge. Which player sticks out the most heading into this game defensively for you, for the Cardinals? I'll ask you a question. I honestly haven't uh, taken a ton of time to dive into the Cardinals defense yet. I've been kind of focusing on Darnold and what's going on there, but um, I, I mean, this is still a, kind of an evolving defense. I, I just overall thinking of what the Cardinals have been for a few years. He kind of looked at them as kind of a laugher and um, just a team that could put up points, but I don't think that's the case anymore. And um, just given the Jets offensive struggles, I, it's definitely not going to be an easy day for them. I definitely agree, but the Cardinals did, fall flat a little bit last week against Carolina. They did get surprised, so we will see what happens. Um, Let's see if we have any other comments here. I don't think so, but uh, Chris Herndon, too. I actually want to ask you about him. Um, The question on Chris Herndon is 
He's been banged up. Obviously, he's had some off-the-field issues. Can he be that tight end, or do you think they should lean more towards a Ryan Griffin? I know both of those guys have different strengths and weaknesses. I think Herndon can be. I mean, I mean, you saw it his rookie year. He's got that potential to be a kind of all-around tight end, a guy that can make plays downfield, that can block, that can run block. Um, and I, I think for guys that missed essentially an entire year of football, uh, not having a training camp then to um, to get back acclimated and into the game really hurt him. And he's seen it for four weeks. He really hasn't made an impact at all in any game. Um, and consider, I mean, Adam Gase came in a year ago and now Herndon is essentially learning the offense for the first time, um, trying to get that chemistry back with Arnold. And it, it just hasn't been there. I, they want to get him involved. I think they will eventually. It, it's just taken a lot longer than I think they would have liked it. Anyone would have expected I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Chris, just wanted to thank you again for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Tom's here with Chris Ryan. Uh, really great insight on the New York Jets. I'm hoping they could come out with a win. Both my parents are Jets fans, so I have to, um, you know, kind of root for them a lot. Even though I'm a Giants fan, I like root for the Jets as well. But really appreciate the time tonight and hope to talk to you again soon. This was great. Appreciate it. Of course, anytime. Hopefully one of the local teams will get a win eventually. <laughs> we got to take bets on who does it first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Cool. Thank you. That was Chris Ryan, New York Jets reporter. Thank you very much, Chris. Really good insight on the Jets. He, I like how he went into depth on how this football team has been right there these first few weeks. But, you know, it's sad to say now that Adam Gase – Teams that are winless going up against an Adam Gase head coach Jets team are 7-0 and against an Adam Gase coach Jets team. And fun fact, the last three quarterbacks in the NFL to win their first career start, fun fact, all Denver Broncos, Drew Locke, Brandon Allen, and Brett Reapian. I personally think the Jets are going to keep this very close this weekend. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think the Jets have potential to win this game. I don't like the fact that the Cardinals have to travel. Thank you very much, Tom. Appreciate the comment. Um, hope to have you on soon as well to talk about those Jets. Um, I don't think the Jets are going to win this game, folks. I think the Cardinals will find a way to win, but I think the Cardinals are going to win ugly. I am not impressed with their offensive line at the moment. I think if the Jets could apply some pressure, guys like Jordan Jenkins and Neville Hewitt up front, Steve McClendon, Quinnen Williams, all those guys, I think the Cardinals are going to have a lot of trouble. So on that note, uh, Kanan Justiniano will be joining us in just a few moments to talk about the New York football giants. He's going to be joining me. He is an employee of Hoop Group, a organization that is responsible for um, developing a lot of the NBA's current best talents. Also, a lot of guys that are currently in college examples include Tyrese Maxey, um, guys like that, Cole Anthony as well. So I'm really looking forward to getting him on. Um, So anyway, the New York football giants, they lost to the Rams 17 to nine on Sunday. And as a Giants fan, it was very painful to watch this game, although they did play a lot better than I had expected. I predicted the Rams to score a lot more points. But again, the defense just keeps coming up in clutch, folks. They've done a fantastic job this year. Uh, The Fun fact, the last time the Rams beat the Giants at home was back when they were in St. Louis back in 2001. So I think it was just crazy to watch how that game unfolded. Gerald Everett obviously had a – 
opening drive touchdown rush. The Giants trailed. They ended up trailing 10 to 6 at halftime after exchanging a couple of field goals. And obviously the Giants had a nice 13 play drive capped off by a Graham Gano field goal. And then the Giants, they closed out the third quarter again, 13 play drive, uh, 10 to 9 before Cooper Cup, that 55 yard touchdown. It was brutal, man. And here he is, Kanan Justiniano. Hello. How's it going, coach? I'm doing good. How are you, Tom? Good. Long time no see, man. Looking good. Looking good. How's Hoop Group going? Uh, it went good. You know, I'm going back there this weekend. We have another tournament, so excited about that. And then we're running something on November 29th, the Hoop Group Classic. So it's going to be Rutgers, Ryder, FDU, and they're going to try to find another team. So pretty excited about that. Excellent work, Kanan. Really appreciate all that hard work you guys do for developing some of the NCAA's top prospects, including I just mentioned how you worked with guys like Tyrese Maxey and Cole Anthony. So that's definitely a lot of fun. All those YouTube clips you send me at 4 a.m. <laughs> Gotta love it. Uh, but anyway, we're here to talk about the New York football Giants. And obviously you and I, as two diehard Giants fans, you know, I've got to tell you, I was really impressed with the defensive effort in this game, considering how polished the Rams offense is and how elite Jared Goff and Cooper Cup were playing the first three weeks. They were putting up great numbers and Darrell Henderson, too, in the backfield. Uh, but my first question to you is actually on Daniel Jones. The interception to Darius Williams at the end of this game, 52 seconds left. He has the opportunity to scramble, pick up the first down, but he sees Damian Ratley towards the sideline. Break down this play for us. What are your thoughts? So, you know, you had Deion Lewis open, um, you know, right in the middle of the field. He could have picked up about seven yards for a first down. And I feel like he missed him. He rolled right. And he had to get more to the, uh, to the sideline, the ball. He had to uh, throw it more to his back shoulder. And I'm not a big fan on Daniel Jones. Um, you know, I, I see him, you know, he struggles a lot, you know. And you know that we've talked a lot about it. Um, we have, you know, we still had one timeout left. All we needed to do was pick up the first down and then get to the line quick and then maybe take a shot at the end zone because there's still a lot of time or something like that. But I didn't like, I didn't like the throw. I didn't like him rolling out to the right. I didn't like that at all. So I'm going to bring up a graphic here. Um, I'm going to go a little bit deeper. Okay. Actually, we have a comment before we get there. Tom McNamara says that was a great play by the Rams DB. I agree, but at the same time, that was a very predictable throw. He essentially telegraphed it. Do you think Daniel Jones is the quarterback of the future, Kanan? In other words, do you think he's the franchise quarterback of this Giants team? I think he is, but I don't agree with it. Interesting. I care to care to elaborate yeah i think the giants are gonna end up keeping them and be like you know the you know you're gonna be the quarterback for the future but i don't think they should do that where do you think they should go to be honest i i know i know who you want man i i am very high on a couple quarterbacks i like justin fields out of ohio state i know you know a couple other ohio state quarterbacks aren't doing good in the nfl right now but I like I like Justin Fields as a quarterback, and listen, I'm an Alabama fan, but Trevor Lawrence is unreal. Trevor Lawrence is he's a he's a great dude, and I just think 
you know, if we have the number one pick, you got to go with Trevor Lawrence there. But I'm also, but I, I do not like Daniel Jones as a quarterback. I think I, I'm just not a big fan of him and stuff like that. You know, I, I don't like the reads he makes. I don't like, I don't like his audibling at the line. I, I'm just not a fan of Daniel Jones. Okay, that's a fair argument. Let's um, show this graphic here. I want to go a little bit more into depth with the folks here watching our show tonight and listening on the anchor, Kenan. Uh, Daniel Jones obviously has lost 13 of his first 16 career NFL starts, similar to this man. I had to do it to you. I had to do this to you. So Daniel Jones versus Peyton Manning. First 16 NFL starts. Statistically, they are very similar, and Peyton Manning had hell of a lot more turnovers than Daniel Jones did. Um, I know I'm taking the fumbles into consideration as well. Jones has 30. Peyton Manning had more than two fumbles through 16 games. Um, I do think the one difference here, though, that um, this was actually retweeted by Lawrence Tynes, former Giants kicker. I do think the one thing Lawrence Tynes failed to – bring up though was that Peyton Manning obviously had a better supporting cast around him Cannon, as where I think the troublesome with Daniel Jones comes more with the supporting cast where Peyton Manning was able to grow out of the slump Daniel Jones it may take a little longer but what do you think about this graphic I know you're probably like what the heck did Tom just do <laughs> well you're not lying I was saying that to myself um you know, the offense, you look at Daniel Jones and you say, you know, oh, he could have done this, he could have done this, he could have done this. You know, first of all, he has horrible, horrible offensive line. I know we'll probably get into that later. We'll probably talk about that. But, you know, the offensive line is not good. And he struggles holding on to the football. So, you know, it's all consideration. You know, you drop back, you know, you look up and there's guys right there and then – you know, you're holding on. You have to hold on to the football, and it's like, oh, you're scrambling for your life. And then you got to get the ball downfield. You know, so you know it, it's tough for him. And I, I think the Giants will turn it around soon. I like Judge as a coach. I like him. You know, I'm very tough on the Giants. You know, we talk about it all the time. But I do think he's a great coach and can turn the Giants around. I don't think he's going to be or couple years but i think it will happen so i like your take on joe judge let's get rid of this graphic but i will just milk it out a couple more seconds so the folks can see um andrew thomas we're going to talk about this offensive line so andrew thomas was drafted fourth overall out of georgia canaan he you know was brought in to be potentially the future left tackle of this organization but i think his play has struggled a lot so far because of not having Nate Solder around to really mentor him in a sense as where Luke Pettigrew had Lomas Brown, the last O-lineman the Giants took early in a draft um, that was very successful tackle-wise at least. What does Andrew Thomas need to improve on, and how do you feel about our offensive line personally? Uh, They're struggling. They're struggling. Uh, I like the defense, um, but we're not going to talk about the defense right now. Um, it's, they're, they're struggling, you know, they're, he's young, you know, so it's, he's got so much to learn. Um, 
he let you know Daniel Jones got pressured six times just from that side of the line, just from that side of the line, you know. So, you know, everybody's gonna blitz and stuff like that. You know, he's struggling to pick up on the blitz. His footwork, he really needs to work on his foot, his footwork. That's what it really comes down to. Um, he's like he's always hopping on his feet. If you watch, he's always hopping on his feet, like on a one foot, actually. He's hopping on his foot. So he's not really balanced. So I don't know if you ever played football, but offensive linemen, they need to be balanced, and he's not balanced. So then they're just tossing him around, and it's, you know, it's not really going well for him because then they could just get right by him because he's all balanced, and they then they can just get to Daniel Jones, you know? So – He's ranked 66 among 72 tackles. So he's really struggling there. And that's why I think all all the offense woes continue because of the offensive line. We say here, we talk about Daniel Jones, you know, this, this. Dude doesn't have time to throw the ball down the field because they're in his face every every single time. So, Coach, the Giants rushed for 136 yards. But Jones was under a lot of duress in this game. He was sacked five times. Nick Gates got into it a lot with Aaron Donald. And it's crazy because through four weeks, Cameron Fleming, the guy we signed as a one-year free agent acquisition from the Cowboys, who's a former Patriot, by the way, as well. He's the highest-grade Giants O-lineman on pro football focus, Keenan. What are your thoughts on Nick Gates basically bringing out tough guy, ruthless aggression against Aaron Donald on Sunday? And, yeah. Crazy. I like with football, you know, you always want to make sure, you know, guys are professional, but you need you need somebody like that on the team, you know, to get after, to protect, protect your quarterback. But, you know, if there's no fight line, then, then you know, defense linemen are going to just think they're in control because they're going to come with a nasty attitude. And it's always said, and you you know football, you know, you watch it. Game one in the trenches. Games are won in the trenches. Like, we could talk all this quarterback is so good, this, that, that. Trevor Lawrence is nothing without an offensive line. You know, Tua Tuckabaloa was nothing uh, in college was nothing without a line. He doesn't make that throw in the national championship to win Alabama the football game if he doesn't have time or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So it all comes down to the offensive line. They get no credit. You know, you're not going to see them winning, you know, this award, this award, this. You know, you're not going to really see their – their jersey hanging up in Models or Dicks or, you know, any sporting goods stores, but they're the key to team success. So you brought up Clemson and you brought up Trevor Lawrence. So it, the Giants do have a Gabe Flayton's comment here through the Giants need to try running the ball more. I agree with that. You have a running back who played with the Sean Watson at Clemson and Wayne Gallman. Remember, we're not going to have Saquon Barkley for the rest of the season. No, I think Wayne Gallman needs to be, the feature back on this offense right now and bring Devontae Freeman in on some drives. I think what they should do is use Gallman the first couple of drives, give him a little bit of momentum, and then go to Devontae Freeman for the next couple of drives. That way neither player runs out of steam, and you could stick true to your offense. I think Deion Lewis needs to be more that change of pace back that you bring in on third down for a receiving type of role. But uh, what were your thoughts on that? I agree 100% with you. Uh, I like... Devontae Freeman is a running back. I think he's very good. Um, obviously, he's not Saquon Barkley. Uh, but, you know, I think they need to run the ball more. And then it can 
open up. It can open up, you know, quick yeah. here. These guys are playmakers. Let them make plays in the open field. You know, one missed tackle could end up being a 30-yard play. So, you know, you have to get these guys the ball, but just on a little quick slant, just here, you got to make it, you got to make it simple. A lot of play action, play action here, play action here, play action here. Don't try to be fancy like some of these other quarterbacks in the NFL, you know, that we see. Just try to make it easy and simple. Ground here, ground pound here, ground and pound here, quick pass here, quick pass here, you know, pick up first down. I think right now it's a lot of these players are trying to get used to the scheme Jason Garrett's brought over from Dallas. I think having Mark Colombo as the O-line coach definitely helps the Giants, uh, not only because he faced the Giants all these years, but, you know, he's an old-school type of player. I think the Giants are trying to bring that, um, you know, type of mentality to this team. But Golden Tate, man, I don't know what it is. The end of this game, him and Jalen Ramsey get into it. We know the backlog there, the storylines, how – they have off the field issues, this and that. But um, personally, what are your thoughts on Tate and Ramsey? I personally wasn't a fan that this brawl continued into the locker room where Ramsey was there waiting outside for Golden Tate. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? I think that was a little, little bit too extreme by Ramsey there at the end. I do. You know, we talk about, you know, the off the field. Golden Tate's sister, I believe, has two kids with Jalen Ramsey. Too. Be correct. Yeah. So you know, there's always bad blood, bad blood there. But I didn't like it. You know, leave it on the field, break it up. All right, let's be professional about it. Let's move on. You know, I'm all for like a little trap bucking and all that. But let's not get where there's gonna be fists thrown and all that. I did not like it at all. I thought it was very unprofessional by Jalen Ramsey. Um, you know, a lot of other guys have had issues with him in the NFL. A lot of guys. Team- yeah. Opponents, you know, I, listen, I'm all for competitiveness and try to spike the guy over, you know, try to mess up his game, but don't be taking it too far and be waiting outside the locker room because that's unprofessional. Right. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And if something, because then we all know if something happens and there is a fight and there's a broken jaw, this could go way overboard. And then if stuff starts to get thrown out, then we start pointing the finger and then they don't want to take the fault for waiting outside the locker room. You know, we all we all know. So, Coach, um, as an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, you're always ahead of the game with these mock drafts. And I know you're already looking into options for the Giants in 2021, where they may land within this draft. In fact, you sent me a couple on Instagram uh, over this past weekend. Where do you see some of these Bama players going? Who do you, who do you think specifically could help out these Giants, whether it be in one of the early rounds or maybe one of the mid to later rounds? Alex Leatherwood. I like him a lot. You know, Najee Harris runs behind him a lot. You know, um, you know everybody looks at Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. Yeah, we see their highlights and – Stuff like that. But they have a lot of success because they can run the ball with Najee Harris. They can give him the ball so many times a game, you know. So even when Tua went down, you know, we Alabama could have beaten Auburn. There would be a chance they could have won that game. Yeah. Because they could run the ball. They give the ball to Najee and stuff like that. But I really think Alex Weatherwood is a guy they got to get. 
I agree with you. He is huge. He is 6'6", 310, 315 pounds, senior out of Alabama. He kind of looks like Dalvin Tomlinson. That is a mean green type of look. That is not a guy. So, Kanan, if I'm a defensive player, I do not want to be going up against him. (laughs) He is going to pancake so many players, especially in the NFL. I think he's one of the few O-linemen where you come out and say, his game will easily translate to the next level. Um, I personally think he'd be really good interior for us at the guard position, or maybe um, I don't know if he does. He play much center at Alabama? Uh, no, he's they no. Put and they do a lot of misdirection and run right up the middle because you know they try to get that pull. You know, once that line they get that push, and then. Najee Harris is 6'3", 230 pounds. So that's him coming at you, too, is is probably, you know, it's pretty hard to tackle. And then you got these great offensive linemen, you know, that collision is just, it's unreal. So defensively, we held the Rams to 240 yards, which is monumental considering this Rams offense. That's the fourth fewest yards the Rams have accumulated since Sean McVay took over as head coach in 2017. We only gave up 58 rushing yards. Generally speaking, what are your thoughts on this defense? And fun fact, we actually outgained the Rams in yards in this game, and we outrushed them by nearly 75 yards. So I don't understand how we didn't win this game. What are your thoughts on this defense, though, man? They they kept us around. I love our defense. I love it. And we're without two key players on defense. I love our defense. You know, of course, we had a little – mess up on the communication you know our cornerback slipped and cup scored you know i heard you talking about that um but i like our defense a lot uh dexter lawrence is a great defense lineman you know i i like our i like our def- i like blake martinez a lot you know i know when coming over from green bay a lot of guys said he was overrated but i like our defense a lot and when jabril peppers come back and xavier mckinney i think we're going to be an elite defense Yes, I agree with you. I think we have an elite defense, and I'm happy we have an elite defense. I just – we can just pick up the offense. So, speaking of defense, there's actually – outside of Jabril uh, – sorry, Jabril Peppers, we're missing two key starters right now, in my opinion. Uh, one of them played last year. One of them didn't. Uh, McKinney is one of them. Here, Here we go. I want to focus on the bottom part, though, and go over McKinney's stats. Three sacks, three interceptions, four forced fumbles. He basically reminds me of Landon Collins. What makes him different from Landon, and what type of impact will he bring when he finally gets on that field? Um, you know, he, you know, coming from Alabama, you know, those are hard-hitting guys. Uh, I like Xavier McKinney a lot. I think he can cover better than Landon Collins. I, I, so I think he can cover better than Landon Collins, and can't. And Landon Collins is more of like a step in, make up, and tackle guy. But I kind of, I like it. I like uh, how he, when he comes back, I think he's gonna help us in coverage. And I don't think Cup, Cup gets that touchdown when he's in there. So you know, injuries right now. We have injuries. And we're playing very good defense with injuries. So I'm excited when these guys come back. And if you just saw the comments there, 
this is how I envision the secondary. Gabe has brought up Logan Ryan. I think he's a starter. He's fantastic. He uh, he has a knack for causing turnovers. We saw that in Tennessee last year. And then Bradbury has been solid, too. He is a top-two cornerback in the league right now, Keenan. In the league. He doesn't give up anything. Look who he's gone up against. Uh, Cooper Cup this past week. I know his feet weren't set on that touchdown play. Allen Robinson in week two. That's not an easy matchup. And then Juju Smith-Schuster in week one. These are not just your ordinary wide receivers. These are really darn good wide receivers Bradbury's going up against with, not to to remind you folks, no preseason, limited training camp. So the way I envision the secondary cannon, when everyone's healthy, Peppers and McKinney as the safeties. And then you have Bradbury on one side, Logan Ryan on the other. And then you put Darnay Holmes, the rookie, in at the slot. Then you'll never have to worry about Isaac Yadam or Corey Ballantyne again. If everyone can just stay healthy and on the field. And Julian Love is another guy who could play the slot too. Backup Mm -hmm. safety, backup corner. He's very versatile. He's like a Swiss Army knife. I think those are, you know, your six secondary guys that you want to use. Nodding in agreement, man. Got to love it. Coach, so which player has impressed you the most? on both sides of the ball, including special teams. Is there one player that has stuck out to you so far this season where you've just been like, oh, my gosh, this is the MVP of the team, or, wow, more people need to be talking about this guy? Blake Martinez. I think he took so much heat coming over from Green Bay. I heard he's overrated this, overrated that, and, you know, I like first take. I watch first take every morning. Oh, (laughs) yeah. And the heat guy it was taken you know it was like okay and a little worried but now i he um 26 solo tackles tied for third 17 assist tackles he had 12 tackles against the uh steelers and i saw this play i was watching it and i i was very it blew my mind so they so james connor was on a screen screen to the left side of the field and james connor caught the ball and he and James Conner took three steps and was bang, tackled right there for a big wall. I, I was like, is that Blake Martinez? That was a very good tackle, and he ran him down. So I'm, I'm really high on this kid. I like him a lot, uh, his speed. But just like, like you said, everybody's got to stay healthy. So you kind of already answered my next question. By the way, I do agree. Blake Martinez is that guy. He is the real package worth the three-year $30 million we gave him. Uh, Joe Judge brings a lot that the previous coaching staff didn't. I think we already established that. On YouTube, he has this uh, video he does weekly with Bob Papa called the Joe Judge Report, where he goes in and he breaks down plays. He's very detail-oriented. And the fact that he cares about all the fundamentals and detail-oriented, these are similarities to Tom Coughlin and what he brought. But I think Joe Judge is kind of a younger version of that right now. You like – And he's a saving guy. Yeah. Yes. Nick Saban. This is your boy. Pretty boy, Nick Saban. You see it a lot in sports. Now, I'm not just saying football, basketball. You know, the fundamentals have been thrown away from the game. Like, and a lot of games because it's just, you know, football, it's come out here, boom, you know, do this, do that. You know, it's all offense. Let's try to run and gun. You know, I don't know if you watch you watch a lot of college football. I don't know if you watch the Navy game and all the missed tackling. You know, I did not. 
course, you know, you have regular, we have regulations and what team can do and this and that, but just so much missed tackling. And then, you know, in basketball, you just see it like a lot of kids travel, you know, they don't know the fundamentals. They don't catch, they don't pivot. They just catch and they travel. And it's like, I traveled and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you travel. You know, but you just see fundamentals in all the sports, all the sports is really hurting. And, you know, you see these guys, you see guys, you know, they're they're not being taught the fundamentals. And that's from not going to camps and stuff like that. So that's why we really need to get camps back up and going, not just basketball, for all sports. Right. Fundamentals are being lost in all that's a really good point. And moving on to the uh, Dallas Cowboys game coming up this Sunday. So offensively, the Giants have not scored a touchdown in their last two games. Yes. Uh, in fact, they did not reach the red zone in week three, I believe, against the 49ers. But the Cowboys are a team. Their defense has been absolutely atrocious. They are missing Sean Lee. I believe they're missing Randy Gregory. Gerald McCoy is gone. Leighton Van Der Esch is out. Awuzie is out. They're missing the whole Brady bunch right there. Uh, they've given up the most points in the NFL through the first four weeks. What do the Giants need to do to punch the ball in the red zone this Sunday against those uh, Cowboys? I think we have to run away from Dexter Lawrence. I think that we have, we have to run the ball, run away from Dexter Lawrence and just like the Marcus, the Marcus, right? Yeah. We have Dexter. I'm sorry. Sorry. I know it's a Clemson guy, but <laughs> yeah, Marcus Lawrence, um, simple passing routes. Cause we're, we're going to score. I believe we're going to put points on the board. So start Darius Slayton guys. Yeah. I think we're going to put up some points. Uh, it's just, you know, we we just we just got to be able to block. If, if he comes down the offensive line, if we can block, if we can get him time, I think Daniel Jones would do very well. You know, they're very young in this. They have they're very young in the secondary. They're starting uh, Trayvon Diggs from Alabama. They so are. Feel I can see him when I watch the games. A lot of miscoverages. He makes a lot of mistakes. So we have to take advantage of that. So. Cowboys are an onside kick away from being 0-4, so they're not much better than us. But they do have a really good quarterback in Dak Prescott, which I think gives them an edge right now. Uh, Leads the NFL in passing. But the eighth-ranked quarterback, according to PFF, Jared Goff is fourth, Keenan. So I'm not going to come out here and tell you that Jared Goff is better than Dak Prescott, but the numbers don't lie this season so far that – Look, the Cowboys are without Lael Collins, a starting offensive lineman, and I believe they're without another, two who's done for the year. I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, Lael Collins is actually out for the season. Joe Looney's the other guy, sprained MCL. Do you think that's attributed to Dak uh, kind of running around in the pocket a lot and the Cowboys being unable to effectively run the football? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 100%. I think that's definitely a good point. Um, but, Keenan, I want to make predictions to you about this game. Now, folks, who's going to be filling in for Joe Looney? It's going to be the rookie, Tyler Bayadaz from Wisconsin, since Lael Collins is out for the season with a hip injury, and then Joe Looney is week to week. 
this week the Giants went. They brought Alex Bachman back and David Moa to the practice squad. I think, Cannon, for me, the key to this game against Dallas is knowing where Amari Cooper is at all times. Um, you know, he is a dominant receiver. 400 yards receiving through four weeks, man. This is nothing to be crazy about. And the Cowboys have a knack for getting big plays on offense. We've seen it. They have uh, they have City Lamb. You know, they have a lot of guys on that offense that can make plays. So I'm going to come out and say Dallas wins this game. I think Dallas wins this game by a final score of 31 to 28. I think the Giants are going to put up points. I really, really do. You know what? 31-27, only because we're not going to get in the red zone four times. <laughs> a little too ambitious right there. I say the Giants score three touchdowns this week and get two field goals. Uh, 31-27, Dallas. I'm going to go, I think Amari Cooper's going to have an okay game. I like I like C.D. Lamb a lot. I think uh, Gallup will have a big game. And I think Zeke will have have a decent game. I'm going to take the Cowboys 34-17. Okay. Our offense is still struggle. I think we'll get a field goal and two touchdowns. I like it, um, partially because we will not have Sterling Shepard in this game, and we've seen that Golden Tate at this point. He's not a number two receiver. I think Darius Slayton is your ideal number two receiver. Kind of reminds me of Amani Toomer, but he has to play number one in this offense because there just is nobody else. In my opinion, Evan Ingram is the number two option for the Giants. He has to step up. But those are our final thoughts on the Giants, and now we're going to get into the meat potatoes for you. The NBA Finals, Kanan, it is down to Game Five. The oh. Lakers lead the Heat three to one in this series. They were fan. I mean, it was a great game in Game Four. I think uh, Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler have done a good job being the one-two options with Bam at a out. But walk us through, man. Like, it's just crazy because Miami, the underdogs against the heavyweights and the L.A. Lakers, the Lakers are one win away from their 17th NBA championship. They're smelling the coffee. It's almost there. How do they do it in game five? I think the Lakers, I think the Lakers will win the next game. I want the Heat to win. Um, I think, I think... AD, people are going to say this sounds ridiculous. I think he needs to go more in the post. I don't really see anybody on Miami stopping him. You know, he should, Kelly, Kelly Olenek can't, can't guard him in the post. Like, this is the best center in the NBA now. He, Kelly Olenek cannot guard him in the post. So I think they should play right through uh, Anthony, Anthony Davis down low and let him go to work. And I, we all know LeBron is not afraid to say, I would just have 20 assists and I'll just pass the ball the whole time. I'm okay with that. I don't need to score all my – I don't need to score. I'll, I'm okay with giving you 20 assists. We know LeBron is unselfish and is a team player and just wants to win. I think Anthony Davis – to play more down low and guys like Danny Green needs to needs to hit shots. You know, you sit there and it's like, oh, he's about to shoot. Okay, that's a miss. And it's a miss. Like it's getting old. Yeah, you know, I love my age. But you know, I think 
they got to play more through Anthony Davis down low. And but I think there's a lot of fatigue in Anthony Davis. You see him hit the floor a lot. Um, you know, he wants to play more of the wing. Yeah, he can take his guys out, hit hit a three, and drive to the uh, rim. But I think it'd be so much easier for him to just get the ball on the low post instead of ripping through, then driving and wasting more energy. I agree with you 100%. So in game one, AD had 34 points. He was ecstatic. And remember, the Heat did lose Dragic to a foot injury and then Bam bio to a neck injury. They both left that game in injuries with injuries. Neither of them played in game two where AD and LeBron went off again. And it showed you brought up Kelly Olynyk in your last analysis there a minute ago, Keenan, how he really isn't the answer. They started Myers Leonard. Mm-hmm. Jay Crowder is not big enough. Andre is not big enough. They don't have anybody. Realistically, Udonis Haslam is like almost 40 years old, if not at this point. Um, you know, he is a dinosaur in this league. So, it's crazy, man. I don't I don't look, Miami's had to go a lot of routes in this series. Game two, Tyler Hero, first player born in the two thousands to start an NBA finals game. Shows you how old we are getting. Um <laughs> a lot. I like him a lot. Yeah, talk about him. Yeah, I you know, one of my buddies, he goes to he goes to Kentucky, he's a manager for uh, Kentucky for John Calipari, and he was just telling me about Tyler Hero. Um, so, you know, really talking to him about it, you're like, oh my, wow. You know, I became a fan of Tyler heroes. Um, but I just think one guy that can change this whole series around is Duncan Robinson. He cannot guard you or me. He is, he is horrible at defense. He just two dribbles by and it's like, you can't, you can't guard anybody. Like, yeah, you're out there for your offense, but you can't, you can't guard nobody. Like he is, if he could just guard, if he could just guard one person, it's like that could be a difference. But I, the Lakers are just going right at him, right at him, right at him and not doing anything. He can't. Kanan, this guy's a bench player at Michigan. He was trying to get a job in sports media before teams were hitting him up at the combine. Uh, I know this guy's roughly around our age, and Duncan Robinson, if he did not have a three-point shot, it's safe to say he would not be in this league. He has struggled this series shooting the rock. Uh, Look, I like what Tyler Hero has brought to the table as far as not just shooting threes but scoring buckets. He's been a great compliment to Jimmy Butler. He stepped up as the number two option when Bam was hurt. But game three, the Lakers are up 2-0. Jimmy Butler goes off 40 points. Goes to show you how big of a, of a mistake it was for Philadelphia to let Butler walk. Um, thoughts on his comments towards LeBron? I thought it was kind of funny because he gave LeBron a little taste of his own medicine. Yes, you know it's, that's all. That's just a competitive <laughs> mindset in these guys, you know. And I'm okay with that. You know, they didn't take it to the extreme level, waiting outside the locker room. One word here, you know. One word here, a little sentence, boom. You know. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I think Jimmy Butler won't be able to do it again, but that's what he needs to do. He needs to come out there and get 40 for them to win, and I don't think he can do it. 
Although in Game 3, LeBron James was not good. He turned it over eight times. He had a lot of trouble. The Lakers had 19 turnovers at a team, but you're right. Game 4, Butler can't score 40 points every night. Last night, he scored 22. 10 rebounds, 9 assists. Almost had a triple-double, but it was not enough. Um, unfortunately, even with Bam returning to the lineup, it just wasn't enough. Dragic is still out. I got to give him credit, though. That Goran Dragic is resilient. He tried to practice, did what he could, couldn't go. The Lakers come away with a six-point win in a back-and-forth game where the tides were turning. Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis had four blocks, and Cannon, I think what the Lakers needed was a third guy on their team to come up and score close to 20 points, and they got that. Last night is Contavious Caldwell Pope had a good shooting night scoring 15 points. And if there's really a third guy in this offense who steps up, do you think it's him or do you think it should come off the bench from a guy like Kyle Kuzma or maybe Markeith Morris? I, I, I like Morris. I like him a lot. You know, he plays defense. Um, that third guy, I think, has to be Kyle Kuzma. You know, Pope, Pope took a lot of pressure off his shoulders and had 15, like you said. But I think Kyle Kuzma has to do something and has to be a good third option. Right. You know, he takes a lot of shots. He's got to be that third option for LeBron and AD. You know, you can't just rely on – you know, I'll pick and roll the whole time between them two because these are professional players and they're going to adjust to that and come up with a game plan. Like what happens when they go zone? You you know, when they go zone, it's going to be a lot harder to do stuff like that. So I think Kyle Kuzma has to be a third option to, and keep Miami off, you know, off their toes. There's definitely a good point you brought up there. Um, Duncan Robinson was better last night. He had 17. He was better shooting, which is a good sign. Uh, Hero had 21. But Tyler Hero set a record last night, actually, Kanan. The most three-pointers made by a rookie in NBA playoff history. Insane. Out of the University of Kentucky, Coach Cal. I know you work closely with a lot of these coaches. I know you're good buddies with Brad Stevens of the Boston Celtics. buddies with them. I just... I've coached uh, – I worked at camp one time, and um, we. I coached against his son. Oh, okay. So I, I coached against his son. Brady's his name. He's a really good player. Not our Brady. No, not your Brady. Not, not our Brady. Our Brady. <laughs> not our Brady. Uh, all right, Keenan, um, last question for you. Yes. I know you kind of alluded to it uh, er- earlier. So you're going L.A. in five. Correct? Or are yep. you going to second guess that after this Tyler Hero talk? LA. His last name is Hero. Yes. Need I remind you? I think it L- is 2020. Yes. I think LA and five. I hope I'm wrong, though. I'm not going to lie to you. I hope. So last week, I was that guy that decided, you know what? Let me do it. Let me pick Miami in seven. But. Uh- um, I think the Lakers win it in six. I'm going to tell you something. I think the Heat are going to win tomorrow night. I think they find a way. Uh, I personally think it takes the Lakers six games. I think the longer the series lasts, though, the more it favors Miami, especially if they can get Dragic back. But that's just my personal take on it. I could very well see the Lakers winning tomorrow night, but I want to go a little different just to spice it up a little bit. 
But uh, Kane and man, we got you here for one more minute. Any final thoughts on the Giants, on college, on NBA, on anything? Um. Oh, I just. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> just happy sports is back, like everybody else. Oh, and we're, you know we get back to talking and seeing how these guys do, and you know, next week is uh, is going to be a battle in the SEC when Georgia and Alabama play. So I'm sure you and I will be talking a lot about that and getting ready for that. We will, and um, I'll be coming up to Sullivan County soon. So okay, definitely, you let me know. All right, take care, Kenny. Thank you for having me. No problem. That was Kanan Justiniano from Sullivan County, New York. Uh, before we get Dominic Danielli up here, our next guest, he's going to talk about some MLB stuff. I want to just go over my team of the week, the traditional team of the week segment on Review and Preview. This week, I'm going with the San Diego Padres. They have not reached the NLDS since 2006. It has been 14 years for the Padres, and I am very excited to see them doing well and taking the Cardinals down in three, especially after they um, were down one nothing in a series, in the wild card series. So great to see. Uh, let's waste no more time. Without further ado, Dominic Danielli. Hello, Dom. How are we doing, Tom? I like the hat. Thank like you. Hat. Um, so, man, I got to tell you, it's been a crazy week of some MLB playoffs. I know I've got you here now to talk about it, but let's start with your New York Yankees. Um, Garrett Cole, uh, actually, well, first I'll say the Yankees started off against the Cleveland Indians. It was Cole against Bieber in game one. I know you were a little nervous because Bieber is a Cy Young candidate, but Garrett Cole in any good year would be as well. And the Yankees won 12-3. I thought Cole pretty much outdueled Bieber. Bieber got banged up. Were you surprised by that at all? Oh, I was very surprised. I, Bieber is a Cy Young candidate, like you said. He, he had, I remember there was a game he had, he pitched for five innings. He had 12, 13 Ks, five innings at one point this year. He's been really good. I was surprised he got knocked around. Even, you know, I know Judge is good. I know we have a good lineup, but I didn't think, I thought it'd be a pitcher's duel. That was very surprising. So let's go over the amount of home runs the Yankees hit. Judge in the first inning, then Glaber Torres hit one. Then I believe Brett Gardner hit one as well. Yes. And then Giancarlo Stanton, that had four home runs. Crazy. The only player the Yankees Cole couldn't stop was Josh Naylor. I believe he went four for four in this game, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, but, he's a Yankee killer. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's just insane. And then in game two, we saw Tanaka, a pitcher who in the postseason has been electric since 2015. His ERA is only 1.76. The Yankees win 10 to 9. I believe they were down in this game at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 10 runs, only eight hits, Tom. Uh, what was the recipe to success in this game against Carlos Carrasco and beating Cleveland? Yeah, I mean, they just I don't know, they just figured it out. I mean, Carrasco, I wasn't as I wasn't too worried about him, but you know, he has experience in the playoffs last couple of years with the Indians. Um, you know, they're just they're finding now they're just finding ways to hit. They're finally not just you know relying on the home run ball. They're just figuring it out. They're playing good baseball. It's crazy because I believe they were leading four to three in the ninth inning. I'm sorry. No, I'm talking about Tampa Bay. Um, <laughs> I, I got ahead of myself, but uh, the Yankees trailed nine to eight in the ninth inning before 
Gary Sanchez, the sacrifice fly RBI, ties the game. And then DJ LeMahieu, the game-winning single off of pretty much their best relief pitcher, their closer, Brad Hands, uh, who ended up blowing the save. It's really tough because the Indians had a 4-0 lead in the first inning, Dom. I just think the Yankees really, they, they got hot at the right time. The Urshela granny, always good to see. He's been great for you guys again this year. Kinda, Miguel and Duhar has kind of been an afterthought at this point since yeah. he has been on the rise. Yeah, Urshela is just, you know, I still remember him on the Indians. He was just like kind of like a good luck charm for them. He was just like a defensive guy. Couldn't really hit at all. And then, you know, we picked him up from uh, Toronto's minor league system and the dude figures out a way to hit. I don't know how he's been doing it, and the defense is even much better than it was before. I, I mean, I, this guy just blossomed to a superstar. He comes up big, too, with, like, the grand slam. He's, he's just been amazing. He just makes some great plays, too. It's phenomenal. So, moving on to Tampa, Dom. The Rays have had the Yankees number pretty much all year. Oh, yeah. But I know the Yankees weren't healthy. By the way, this series is taking place in San Diego. Uh, the Rays finished 20 games over 500. The Yankees were just six at 33 and 27. Currently, the series is tied one to one. Game one was good. You guys won nine to three. Cole was on the mound again. I know the American League, it's much harder to put up the same numbers that a pitcher would in the National League. Maybe not as much anymore now that the NL has the DH. But um, Clint Frazier. Clint Frazier. I, I want to pick your brain on Clint Frazier because this guy has been predicted to get traded for the last two years now, and he's still here. And I think he's very important to your team a lot more than Yankee fans realize because he kind of provides that depth and very key breaking the 1-1 tie with a solo home run back on Monday. Yeah, that was impressive. He's been impressive all year. I mean, he's he's kind of a guy that, you know, at first, everyone thought, you know, we had too many outfielders. There's not enough room for him. He's going to get traded. It just makes sense. Get some value for him. But, you know, this is Gardner's last year. It has to be his last year. And, you know, he solidified himself in either left field, center field, wherever he wants to play. He's been great. And he deserves it. Defensively, he's been absolutely phenomenal. He's been so much better than he was the last couple of years. That was always his problem, too. Can he play defense? Can he, you know, can he field in the outfield? Is he just a DH? And, you know, he isn't. He could do he could do everything. He's been phenomenal. You could bat him 9-2 in a very deep lineup. So, and once again, just like that home run, he's just been great. I'm going to pin a comment of my own in response to Hank. <laughs> Yankees just tie the game. Sacrifice fly from Aaron Judge. So, back to game one. G-Man Choi gave the Rays a 3-2 lead with a two-run bomb in the fourth but then the Yankees would respond with two home runs of their own in the fifth. Kyle Higashioka and Aaron Judge, and then leading four to three in the ninth, Aaron Hicks, who made a great cash in last night's game, I've got to say, um, had the RBI single, and then the grand slam from Giancarlo Stanton. How great has it actually been to see Giancarlo Stanton play healthy baseball these last few weeks? I mean, this is finally what Yankee fans wanted out of him. This is exactly what we wanted. This is the Marlins' Giancarlo Stanton. And he's been finally figuring out a way to just demolish balls. He's been just red hot at the perfect time. And, you know, everyone's been saying, you know, he's, he's always injured. He's, you know, he's, he wasn't worth the trade, which, you know, I still don't think it, he was really worth it. He hasn't done as much as everyone thought he would. But, you know, now he's healthy. He's in the lineup with the judge, with everyone else. It's a tough lineup. You know, you can't make a mistake. And he's caught fire at the right time 
and he's he's demolishing these baseballs like he used to. Yeah, he's really been a truck out there with his bat. He's been fantastic. But game two last night, a little misfortune as the Rays won. Davey Garcia only went one inning, but the real question mark now is J.A. Happ, who came in relief, and, um, you know, Happ got slapped. He was not good. Uh, two and two-thirds, he gave up four runs, five hits, three walks, and then the two home runs to Zunino and Margot. I was not impressed. I wasn't too impressed with the glass now either, but when you're going up against the Yankees lineup, I think you're going to find more often than not that you're probably going to have to win ugly against them, especially in the playoffs because they're not going to go away lightly. Um, but he did have 10 strikeouts, and I think the Yankees were swinging for the fences last night, which is kind of what hurts them a little bit. I think the Yankees need to play where they're trying to move the lineup along, and, and then the home runs will come. Oh, no, yeah, I agree. That's what they were trying to do, like you said, swing for the fences. And, you know, Glass now is kind of a guy who, you know, once he's locked in, you know, he's just – he could throw 101, 102. He's, he's tough. And, you know, if you find a way to actually hit him, you got to take advantage. And that's what they were doing. They weren't – that's what that wasn't what they were doing. Sorry. They were just swinging for the fences, not trying to get base hits, trying to move guys around. That was the issue. And also going back to what you said about Jay Happ and, you know, Davey Garcia, I did not like that strategy at all. I thought it was – Thought it was a little too cute. Just kind of didn't really make any sense. Yeah. Let Garcia, you know, give him some confidence. Twenty-one-year-old kid starting game two of the ALDS. Come on, just let him go. He's not, like I could see if he was having a rough year, getting roughed up. He wasn't, you know. And you know, I know Jay Happ's a lefty, but he he gave up a home run to Mike Zunino. He bats like one seventy every year. You just you can't let that happen. So yeah, I it was it was a weird game. It, it's a tough loss, but see if they figure it out. Hank would like to let you know that he does agree with your uh, with our statement. Swinging for the fences is how I've seen them lose playoff games many a time. The man of time himself, Hank Indictor. Uh, make sure to watch him and I tomorrow night on Big Blue Avenue at 7 p.m. where we'll be interviewing Joe Ruback, the infamous license plate guy, football icon. Um, but back to this game, Dom, through – Basically two and a half games in this series, John Carlston has you three home runs and eight RBIs. Um, he had, I believe he had two home runs last night as well, uh, including four ribbies. Had both of them off a of glass now too, which I think is even more impressive. Uh, I think right now he's been the catalyst of this offense, but again, it just wasn't enough. The, I think the Yankees, half the damage was done. They, they couldn't come back from it, unfortunately. And the Rays' bullpen has been very impressive, whether it's been Castillo or Fairbanks. I know uh, you're not going to get through the Yankees 1-2-3 clean, but I thought Fairbanks was pretty good last night shutting the door. Yeah, they've had a good bullpen all year. They have guys that can just kind of like what you know, Cash said earlier on in the year. You know, We have a stable of guys throw 98-9900, and they do. Those are all guys – Castillo, is, his stuff moves like crazy. The whipple ball stuff, he can't hit it. It's, it's, it's tough. And, you know, that's, that's the thing. If you have good starters like they do and a good bullpen like that, that's almost unhittable, it, you're going to have a rough time, especially, you know, a guy – you get five good innings out of your starters, you go to that bullpen, they'll figure it out. And they're a tough team. And I'm looking at tonight's game as we're now tied one-to-one in the series. We're also tied one-to-one in game three. It's Masahiro Tanaka against Charlie Morton. And I believe right now, as I get the stats up, Tanaka, one run and five hits, four strikeouts through three innings. 
so far, so so far pretty good. And then Charlie Morton, guy who lives off his curveball, hmm. two and two thirds. He's out there, tied game pitching to Luke Voigt. So we'll give you more updates on that as it moves along. If anything pops up, uh, Dom, I've got to ask you, who do you got in this series? Oh, uh, you know, it's it's tough. I think on the spot. <laughs> I think if the Yankees lose tonight, I think it's over. But I I think I think they'll win tonight. I hate to say it. I, I can't use I can't I don't want to show any bias. But you know, I really think the Rays actually I think the Rays win the series ultimately. I think the Yankees are going to just I hope not, but I think they're going to make some mistakes. Honestly, I'll be honest, I think the Rays get advanced too. I just think they've had the overall better year. I don't think 100%, 100% they're necessarily better than the Yankees. But right now, I just think the rotation's a little stronger. I know German got reinstated, but I doubt he'll play this year. So um, it's. I think the winner of this series represents the American League in the World Series. I, I think because I know the A's just upset the Astros tonight. Uh, 9-7, they were able to come back and win. But... Man, Dom, it's crazy. Speaking of the A's and the athletics, let's get into that series because I know Houston has surprised a lot of people in the playoffs this year as a six seed. Houston now leads the series two to one. They won 10 to five on Monday. And Dom, just, I know you were telling me before the, the A's, they just stink. When Delkin blew a save on Monday, uh, McCullers was good for the Astros. And then the A's led 3 nothing until the fourth inning, Dom. The Astros scored a couple runs. Bregman, who, fun fact, by the way, uh, he hit a home run on Monday, October 5th. That was the fourth year in a row Bregman hit a home run on the calendar day, October 5th. That's funny. crazy stuff right there. I know Hank will enjoy that fun fact. Um, but then Correa, pair of dingers. Correa is a good young talent who's still there. Uh, I know George Springer went four for five. Uh, and then the A's had a, a couple of home runs, Chris Davis, Sean Murphy, and then Matt Olson as well. But the A's used a total of eight pitchers. That explains the story for you right there and who's probably going to win the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in game two, you had two southpaws. Remember yesterday, Sean Manea against, I believe, Valdez was on the mound yesterday for them. Framber, Valdez, both lefties, and then Valdez was pretty good, man. Seven innings, uh, two-run ball. I was impressed Yeah, uh, with Springer. I just don't get it. Every year, it seems Springer just erupts onto the scene. Uh, pair of home runs yesterday. I don't know. It seems like Chris Davis has just been carrying this team to this point uh, offensively. Like the last couple of games, the A's offense just has not been. I mean, tonight they disproved that claim. But who do you got in the series right now? It's definitely been concerning for Oakland. Yeah, uh, I hate to say it. I think the Astros win this series only because, you know, the just the playoff experience they have. You know, in these games, just kind of watching how, you know, like Correa, Springer, and, and all these in these big spots, they come through. They just know what to do in these situations. And you know, this is a team that finished with a uh, record under 500, which is insane. They're in the in the postseason right now. But you know, the, but they're proving why they deserve to be here. They knocked off the Twins, and they're probably gonna knock off the A's now. Who, you know, that's been the problem with the A's. Just besides Benaya, everyone else in their rotation is just not as reliable. They have you know, Luzardo is a top prospect and. 
This is rookie year. He's, he's inexperienced. And b- besides those guys, and then you go to the bullpen, they don't really have uh, they don't have those type of guys that can just, you know, they're going to shut down. You, you know for a fact that besides Liam Hendricks, who's their closer, you know, I mean, these guys have been getting lit up. They're just interchanging all these pitchers. It's just not, it's not, it's not just not going to work. This is the way they're going to kind of conduct themselves in the playoffs. So mm. I think Houston has it. Uh, Paul, our friend Paul actually put a good uh, message in the chat before. Chad Pinder, who's been very impressive, hit uh, a home run in game two. And then I believe he came into the clutch earlier today in game three, really helping out uh, rookie starter Jesus Luzardo, who young kid going up against Jose Urquidy as the A's. Are, I hope I pronounced that right. I believe so. Uh, as the A's hope. We're hoping to avoid elimination, and they did. Um, Erkaidi gave up four solo home runs to La Stella, Olsen, Canna, and Simeon. Again, the A's, they're, whenever their backs are against the wall, it seems their bats just wake up. When they're in a good spot, They, be, I feel like they become very complacent, you know, which I wouldn't be surprised if the A's come back and win this series either. You know, it just seems like they're so close every year recently, but – because remember, the Astros, they were leading 7-4, bottom of the sixth inning. And the game was tied, and then the Astros blew up for a three-run lead. And then, what do you know? The A's scored five straight. So, I don't know, Dom. I don't know. This Houston bullpen scares me. I, I, don't, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's very weak. Yeah. But moving on to the National League, we have a lot to talk about for the National League. So, the Dodgers overcame their fears, getting upset by the eighth seed Milwaukee Brewers in the wild card series. The Dodgers win the series two nothing. Milwaukee pretty much was not a threat at all in the series. I'm not so sure they even belonged in the playoffs. I thought Clayton Kershaw overcame his uh, you know playoff ghosts very nicely. Eight innings, no runs, three hits, and thirteen strikeouts. Do you see this momentum? transitioning into the divisional series oh yeah definitely i this is the most stacked roster in this postseason and you know if, if kershaw is going to be pitching like that and you have bueller and Dustin may i they have a very good shot and now you know with the padres too with clevenger getting injured uh, that's going to be rough i think you know the dodgers have everything they have no excuse to not advance as far as they can that's this this roster is loaded Imagine a Padres Marlins NLCS. How crazy that would be. That would be amazing. Think about that. Uh, that would be insane, just saying. Um, and then the Braves, they took care of the Reds in two games, which I was surprised by. Uh, Ian Anderson was fantastic in game two. Atlanta won 5 nothing. The Reds only scored, I don't know if they were the team that only scored one run the whole series. I don't know if it was them or the. Well, they didn't score uh, one at all. No. I believe I don't think they did. I know game two they lost five nothing. Um, Ozuna and Duval are a couple of guys to really look out for. Uh, they've been great for them. Iglesias was not good for Cincinnati out of the bullpen, and Cincinnati just goes home. The Braves advance. Then the Cubs and the Marlins. This is the series where we got to talk about where it gets really interesting because I know you have a soft spot for the Miami Marlins. Uh, they swept them. The Cubs didn't do anything. So the Marlins have actually, fun fact, it's crazy because of how poorly they've played. They've never been in the playoffs 
since 2003, they've never lost a postseason series. They've been a franchise since 1997. They have never lost a postseason series because they've only made the playoffs two times. Now three, but – and Hank says Donnie baseball. There we go. There we go. Got to love it. Thank you, Hank, bringing in the comments. Uh, yeah, you know, Miami's a team that flies under the radar. They were the sixth seed coming in. Uh, game two against Chicago, they upset them 2 nothing. The Cubs were the team that only scored one run the whole series. Insane. Uh, Sixto Sanchez is a good young prospect. I thought he was good, and you Darvish was very, very disappointing. Yeah, I I love this guy so much. Sixto Sanchez, oh my God. His his stuff is just almost as filthy as uh, Diego Castillo. It, it just, his movement on everything is insane. He was he was the uh, one of the prospects in the trade for JT Real Muto that got back from the uh, from the Phillies. Him and Alfaro. Alfaro is hurt right now, but he's a good catcher too. But Sixto Sanchez, this guy is supposed to be their future ace, and he looked great against you know his first postseason appearance as a rookie against the Cubs. You have guys like Rizzo, Bryant, who can they have a Schwarber guys hit for power, and Sanchez just shut them down. Five innings, granted, but you know he looked great. You Darvish was yes, he was disappointing, but he also didn't pitch terribly. I would say, you know, only giving up two runs isn't terrible, but you know, you know, he's been dominant this year too. I was just kind of surprised. I thought this game, this series would go to three games, it only went to two. But you know, good for the Marlins. They've been very under the radar. I love it. Here's the million dollar question for you, Don. I think if they don't resign him, if they don't resign JT, yes, they regret that trade definitely. Thank you very much for that comment, Hank. Uh, I was really disappointed with you, Darvish. I thought he would have performed better for Chicago. Uh, sorry to all our Chicago fans. I know we have a um, some Cubs fans watching the show. We're in a Chicago Cubs Facebook group. So um, Garrett Cooper has been impressive, too. A good young raw talent. I like him a lot. He's been great to watch. Um the Padres, 4-5 matchup against the St. Louis Cardinals. So the Cardinals get out to a one nothing series lead. And then the Padres come from behind in game two, winning 11-9. The Cardinals' bullpen got lit up in game two. Galagos blew the save, and then he gave up a couple of home runs, I think, to Tatis and then Machado. And then Ponce de Leon. Oh, my goodness. One inning pitch, three runs, two hits, another home run for Tatis, and then Will Myers. Will Myers, who's not even that great of a hitter. Yeah. You know? like, Oh, there's an update. Not good. John Suggs joining the live stream. Uh, Big Atlanta Braves fan. Shout out, John Suggs. Thank you very much for joining us and commenting. Really appreciate it. We are talking about some MLB playoff baseball right now, folks, so feel free to chime in with any comments or questions you may have for us. I have Dom on for the next nine minutes. Um, Zach Davies. We have to talk about Zach Davies. I was not impressed with his first playoff start, Dom. Is he able to turn this around? Because it seemed like the offense really carried him in this game with those five home runs without them. San Diego's gone. They're not a thought right now. Yeah, I don't know if Davies even, you know, I don't know if he's going to pitch well enough for them, you know, against against a really tough Dodgers team. For the Padres to win any of these games now, they just have to just do what they did in game two and just absolutely mash. That's what they've been doing all year, and that's why 
That's why fans love to watch the Padres. They just Tatis, Machado. These guys are just animals. And it, that game two was a statement game. They were just like, okay, we're still here. We have power. We're we're a huge. We're a beast. We're a threat. You know, and that's how they're going to have to beat the Dodgers. And that's tough with if Kershaw's pitching like that, Bueller's pitching like that. It's going to be tough. But honestly, they can do it. I think they're just going to have to just out hit the Dodgers. It's it's tough, but I think they they have a slight chance. San Diego Padres, Mike Clevenger taking off teams and LDS roster. Yep. That's rough. Uh, definitely a, a rough going there. And to your point, Will Myers and Fernando Tatis Jr. will not be combining for nine RBIs against Walker Biller and Clayton Kershaw. It just yeah. won't happen. <laughs> I doubt it. Um, game three, the Padres took care of business. They won 4 nothing. It took them nine pitchers, but they got the job done. And then Jake Cronenworth had a nice home run in this game. He went three for four. Do you know much about him? You know, I, I really I don't, but I've been paying attention to him a little bit, just kind of watching MLB Network, watching some of his at-bats. I, I believe, is he a rookie this year? I believe so. Yes, he is. Yeah, so. For any of the at-bats I've seen from him, he's looked pretty good. So, you know, good, good for him. You just plug and play. So, folks, review and preview fans, heading into the AL and NLDS, James Montefusco's World Series pick World Series pick fell through. He had the Cardinals over the Rays. Uh, I had Tampa Bay over the Dodgers, and Kyle had the Yankees over the Dodgers. So, uh, me and Russo are still alive. Do you have a pick specifically? Uh, you know, I think, you know, besides like any bias, I would probably say probably raise Dodgers. Most likely. That I seems like Marlins, a lot of there, but I doubt it. <laughs> I know you want the Marlins, but that'd be a story. <laughs> Yankees Marlins. Imagine that. That would be amazing. Um, National League Division Series. Let's get to it. So the Dodgers and the Padres, L.A., Leeds one nothing. Game two is going to start tonight at nine o'clock at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas, a neutral site. Uh, the Dodgers won Game one five to one, despite only collecting four hits, which is insane. Walker Buehler had eight strikeouts over four innings. I think the four walks were definitely a little concerning, but when you have a pitcher like Dustin May in relief who can be a spot starter for you, um. I think he's been very impressive. Dustin May, young player, too. Uh, let's see. Hank, another comment. You know, that was definitely out of the box. Rays, Padres. I can see it, though. I can see it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna push that away. I think it could happen. San Diego has a lot of good young weapons on their roster. At Machado, Tatis. Will Myers, as we just brought up. So we'll definitely see what happens. Yeah. You're right. And then Mike Clevenger only lasted one inning. What a shame. Three walks, though. His location was off. Injuring his pitching arm. I believe he just came back from injury, too. It's insane because you acquired him for these moments, and he can't be there for you. It definitely stinks. Exactly. Uh, Cronenworth, the rookie, had a very costly error. In this game, Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, and Seager all had an RBI driving in runs. John Suggs, damn, no love for the Braves. Good batters and fairly good pitching. 
Dom, I'll let you take that one. Yeah, you know, I like the Braves too. They have, they do have, you know, very good bats. I just don't think they have enough pitching. That's just my only issue with them. They're, I mean, they could, I feel like they're a team that could definitely uh, make it a series against a team like the Padres or the Dodgers, but I don't know. I just don't think, you know, without, without Freed, besides Freed and Ian Anderson, they don't really have amazing pitching, but they do have a good bullpen though. They're, they're, they're a team I feel like is kind of also under the radar in a way. Not having Mike Soroka really hurts their odds. Yeah, if they had Soroka, John, I, I think their odds would definitely increase. I do think they'll make the NLCS. Yes. I just don't think they'll make it to the World Series. They currently lead the Marlins 2-0. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to bring up that game two between the Dodgers and Padres will be tonight, folks, at 9 p.m. The Padres have not reached the NLCS since 1998. That was when they lost the World Series, sadly. But, you know, things happen. Then we have the Braves and the Marlins. Game one, uh, well, this whole series will be taking place at Minute Maid Park in Houston, Texas. Atlanta won 9-5, as you brought up Max Freed on the mound against Sandy Alcantara, who was impressive. Oh, well, I shouldn't say impressive, but he does strike out a lot of hitters. Is Sandy Alcantara the future ace of this team, or do you think somebody else blossoms? I I don't think it's him, only because uh, I just like I, I have bias to Sixto Sanchez. The, the guy is just incredible. But Al, Alcantara is honestly really good. He's like you said, he's a guy who strikes out a ton of guys. His fastball tops out at ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, he's he's got really good stuff. A lot of good movement. Uh, he's definitely like you know their rotation is starting to become pretty built. You know. It's, Sanchez, give him a couple more years, but Alcantara is pretty good. Pablo's, Pablo Lopez had a 3.61 ERA, I believe, this year, which is pretty good. Uh, you know, he was another guy, one of their top prospects. Uh, yeah, I, but I think it's as, as good as Alcantara is, I think it's Sanchez. I think he just has amazing stuff. Now, Miguel Rojas had a home run in this game, and Brian Anderson had an RBI. Talk to me about these two guys. Again, a couple of young kids here. I really like both of them. What do these guys bring to the table? I like I like Rojas a lot. He's been on this team for a very long time, and he was brought back too because you know of his experience and kind of his, his leadership. And this is a guy you could plug and play really anywhere in the infield. And the guy just overall hits. He's he's a guy you could play like I said, at shortstop, third base, second base, first base, fills in for anyone. He was always kind of like a utility guy. Now he's a starter because he's just been you know he's he's a late late bloomer, but he's very good. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. He, he could, and you know, the fact that he's also very good defensively too helps. You know, uh, Garrett Cooper is another guy too under the radar. Everyone kind of forgot about him. He was he was actually on the Yankees originally. He was, yeah, yeah. And you know, he, he's he's a good bat. He plays first base very well too. And once again, another guy that kind of just has experience. He, he knows what to do. He's good. He's very good. That's a good point. And then. Of course, uh, Travis Darno, who I don't want to talk about, but we have to, uh, went three for three with four RBIs and two walks in game one. And then game two had a home run, solo home run in the fourth inning. Braves had Ian Anderson on the mound against Pablo Lopez, who you just brought up. The Braves won that game 2 nothing, But Darno supplied offense in this game along with Dansby Swanson. I think those are the two guys John Suggs is talking about. Uh, that Atlanta has a lot of good hitters in that lineup. Those two are definitely a couple. 
Darno is amazing. Ever since he went to Tampa, he just figured it out. It's, it's, it's just incredible. He's, he's a totally different hitter now. It's crazy. And yeah, like said, Swanson too. He's very good. I also think the Braves have a good bullpen. Uh, they pitched three and a third game two, not a single hit given up. You, I mean, you have Melancone. I believe they still have uh, Smith, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. They, they have a bunch of good pitchers in that bullpen. Um, and then game three, which will be tomorrow at two, Marlins face elimination. Atlanta has not reached an NLCS since 2001. Who do you got in game three? Does Miami fight and stay alive, or do the Braves march on? You know, the Marlins are that kind of team that, you know, they just don't give up. This entire year, they haven't given up. And who do they have for game three? Sixto Sanchez. He's going to be lights out. I think the Marlins win this game. That's your boy. I, I like do. him a lot. I think they'll figure it out. I, do agree. I don't know who's going to who the Braves are going to throw out there, but it's not Ian Anderson. It's not Max Freed. The Marlins have a shot, especially with their future ace on the mound. I think they have a good shot. Definitely a good point, Dom. I, I hope the Marlins win this game. It would be nice to see them upset the Braves, but I don't see it happening. I think the Marlins get one, and then that's it. Atlanta wins. But, Dom, thanks a lot for joining me tonight. Good baseball, as always, and go Yankees. Go Yankees. Thank you for having me, Tom. All right, Tom. No problem. That was Dominic Daniele from Stanford, Connecticut. And before we get Gabe Flayton up to go over our NFL quick quick picks, just wanted to remind you all that uh, tomorrow night, me and Hank and Dictor will be live at Big Blue Avenue at 7 p.m. We were speaking with Joe Ruback, license plate guy, LPG, the iconic New York football Giants fan. And on that note, here he is, Gabe Flayton. Gabe, thank you very much for joining me and, it's nice to see you uh, come out on top this week for a change. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. Uh, it feels good, but after seeing how completely chaotic the locker room was in uh, Houston, if you heard uh, just last week or two weeks ago leading up to the week two loss, uh, J.J. Watt got in a huge fight with Bill O'Brien. This was just reported by ESPN, and that led to the fallout, and nobody wanted to play for him anymore. So seeing how that all went, uh, it's still a win. And in the NFL, a win's a win. Dalvin Cook, six rushing touchdowns through his first four games. That leads the NFL, and partially that play calling definitely contributed to Bill O'Brien getting fired after an 0-4 start. Minnesota wins 31-23, to so congrats on that. Um, if you want to hear more about the Vikings, remember to tune into the North Pole. Tuesdays, 6 to 7 p.m., it's Gabe Flayton. I know you have a lot of good guests on that show, so definitely looking forward to next week's show. So that should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, next week, not sure who I'm going to have on, but since the Lions and Packers have buys, hope to get some really good guests on for uh, Minnesota and Chicago for sure. So let's go over our NFL quick picks from week four. Uh, I will share my screen now and show everybody what we are talking about. So Gabe, Obviously, you came in second this week, and then James won. Kyle Russo came in third, and then I came in last place. It was brutal. Everyone got the Denver game correct. Everyone got the Cardinals game wrong. The Panthers are now 2-0 without Christian McCaffrey. That was just insanity. I don't know how the Panthers pulled that one off. Teddy Bridgewater, man. He's no joke. (laughs) 
Chicago, I had to pick Chicago as my upset. Look, I'm going to be honest. I had a feeling the Colts would win this game. I really did. But I had a lot of trouble picking an upset last week, and I felt more comfortable with an undefeated team than the Browns at that time last week. Uh, The Colts only allowed 28 rushing yards in this game. That is the fewest since 2009. Uh, Gabe, those Colts are looking good, and they helped your guys out a little bit. Maybe they could uh, overtake Chicago at some point this season. Yeah. um, I mean, I went with uh, Chicago against Atlanta in week three, or week two, rather. Or I think it was week three. I I still have confidence in Chicago. I still think they can turn things around. Uh, Their defense is still really good. It just Nick Foles, he needs to get more uh, time in that offense with no preseason. As you guys see below on the ticker, there is our quick pick standings through four weeks. James currently in the lead, Kyle in second. Gabe and I are tied for third, bringing up the rear. See how quickly the points come back home. Everyone is right there. So, although James does have a little edge, but anyway, uh, <laughs> picking so much different from all of us. Cincinnati, Jacksonville. I was proud of this pick. I was the only one to get it. Uh, And actually, Jacksonville was not favored. All of you guys took the underdog in this game. And Cincinnati was able to come out with a win. James did the same thing with Dallas and Cleveland, which was insane. Dak Prescott over 450 passing yards in three straight games. That is an NFL record game. Uh, although they did lose a pair of offensive linemen, Joe Looney spraying his MCL, and then Lael Collins is out for the season. And then for the Browns' sake, Nick Chubb on IR with an MCL injury. He will miss six weeks. Brutal, brutal stuff for both teams. But I want to get to a point here. Kevin Stefanski is 3-1 and one as the Browns' head coach. Yes. Same amount of wins that Hugh Jackson got in 40 games. It's, it's all from creating an offensive identity. Uh, really, they, when Baker was the quarterback before Kevin Stefanski, he was on Colin Coward's show every week getting absolutely criticized, ridiculed. But you don't hear any hate about Baker Mayfield. His stats aren't incredible this year. He hasn't just turned around his, you know, his life or his performance. He's not this quarterback he wasn't before. But it's they're taking so much more pressure off of him, and Stefanski can turn has turned this offense into a new running offense, ground and pound. And you said Nick Chubb on IR. However, Kareem Hunt is still a really good starting running back in the NFL. Uh, so I don't think they're going to drop off that much, tremendously. Gosh, this comment was so long it covered your face. Who do you think will be the best fit for the Texans' <laughs> new head coach? I have few people that would fit nice. Josh McDaniels. Greg Roman or Eric Bieniemy. Hmm. Well, Deshaun Watson and Josh McDaniels does sound like a really good duo. Uh, I could see that. Eric Bieniemy, I think, was a Vikings assistant coach years ago when they went to the NFC Championship. Uh, his name got tossed around when Mike Zimmer was on the hot seat after Week Three. But uh, I do. I hear a lot of good things out of Eric Bieniemy. Uh, but I, I think Josh McDaniels is a way bigger like offensive genius. I think Josh McDaniels would be the best candidate, personally. John Suggs bringing up an argument for Greg Roman. Led, top, led, led six top 11 offensive teams in seven years. Wow. 
Interesting. Fun fact by John. Uh, and now the Browns are three and one for the first time since 2001. Insane. Um, the Saints and the Lions. Detroit has lost six straight after leading by 10 plus points. Bad teams find ways to lose games, Gabe. And this is just another pure example of that. Um, good teams find ways to win games, even if they're ugly. And we saw that with Seattle over Miami. They were able yeah. to do that. Miami played tough. We all picked Seattle. Gabe, again, shout out to you. Only person picking your Minnesota Vikings. Thank <laughs> true. Uh, I had a feeling it would be a close game. I just, I, for some reason, I didn't see Houston losing at home to a winless team going all right. four. Right. My, my thought and, process behind that. And we can, we know now how far backwards the Texans have gone mm-hmm. uh, over this season. I mean, we thought it was a fluke starting 0-3. It was really a, a battle of the two teams, which whose seasons has been a fluke so far. And I think the Vikings halfway showed that 0-3 start was a fluke, but didn't fully show it. And I think the Texans, it was clear on the field that this team is a losing team this year. And you can thank Bill O'Brien for completely sabotaging the roster, uh, trading DeAndre Hopkins for uh, David Johnson, who is really not that great. Yeah, definitely bring up a good point there, Gabe. Tampa Bay with a comeback win over the Chargers. They trailed 24-7 in the first half, but when you have the Iron Man. Uh, somebody who time will never pass by, Tom Brady. Five touchdown passes, first time he's accomplished that in three years. 43 years old, nearly twice our age, and he still continues to keep going. Uh, No Chris Godwin. O.J. Howard tore his Achilles. The Chargers also lost Austin Eckler in this game, who will miss four to six weeks with a hamstring injury. We all picked Tampa Bay, and if I'm not mistaken, nobody picked Tampa Bay as their lock. Uh, right, and I want to add one more point to Tampa Bay. Their offense has been great, but that rookie Antoine Winfield Jr. is ranked among the top five safeties right now in PFF, and he's he's just a rookie. He was a second round draft pick, and you know who passed up on him in the NFL draft? <laughs> Your Giants. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Our safety that we drafted is currently rehabbing. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, from the tournament, that, that that's uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. wouldn't have gotten hurt. Yeah, I agree. But I do think McKinney was the best safety in that draft, to be fair. Um, yeah. But we know Winfield's father played for your right. I love him. Oh, my God. He was so good at, as a Viking. At 5'9", one of the best tackling corners you, you would ever watch. We all picked Baltimore. Uh, they've been impressive. 31-17 win over Washington. They have scored 20-plus points in 27 straight games. Uh, after the Ravens had their 14-game win streak snapped. We know our good friend Fonz DeFalco is a big Ravens fan, so great to see them win, Um, Gabe. And then Buffalo, Las Vegas. Uh, I'll get get back to New England in just a second, but I want to talk about Buffalo. They won 30-23, and then they went 4-0 for the first time since 2008. Missed the playoffs that year, but this year they have they finally have a quarterback who's putting up MVP caliber numbers in Josh Allen. How far can this Buffalo team really go? Well, you can already tell when we uh, interviewed the Bills uh, writer earlier in the season. 
there was a lot of question marks about his relationship with Stefan Diggs. And the, this team could, in a way, go as far as Stefan Diggs takes them because Josh Allen didn't – that was what they were missing last year was that receiving threat, that deep threat that could change the game. And I think Stefan Diggs was underserved in Minnesota. He did too. That's why he wanted a trade. And I think this team, with that offensive threat, I think can go a long way. And we already know that their defense – really has hardly any weaknesses except maybe their linebacking core, but we haven't seen any weaknesses yet on this team. John Suggs, Bills still have to beat Pats. Yeah, very, very good point. Although Stephon Gilmore was just diagnosed with COVID today. Um, We all picked Kansas City to beat New England, and that came true. But New England was hanging around in this game way too long. Does that show you that Kansas City isn't as good as they were last year, or does it still tell you that New England has the best head coach in the entire game? Yeah, it's it's Bill Belichick, man. He doesn't get blown out ever. And when he does, uh, that's when he probably would start. People would think he's, he's going to retire. Uh, but that sign isn't – there's no sign that that uh, team is going to slow down. Cam Newton obviously didn't play in that game. There's a big question mark at that quarterback position right now. Uh, Garrett Stidham or um, Brian Hoyer, we really don't know who's the worst of the two or who's better. Uh, I really hope they find somebody to hold hold them over until Cam gets back healthy. And then Giants-Rams, we all have the Rams. Niners-Eagles, we all missed. We all somehow missed. The return of George Kittle had 183 receiving yards. That was the most receiving yards by a tight end against Philadelphia since at least 1948. That is how far back we are going because stats were not tracked prior to 1948. Um, Oh, my gosh, that's insane. Nick Mullins got benched for C.J. Beathard, who – Led the 49ers down the field late in this game. Uh, Ziggy Ansa tore his biceps out for the year. 49ers get just no luck with injuries. That's their fourth defensive lineman that has gone down. Their defense is literally, their line is literally down to Eric Armstead and rookie Javon Kinlaw. That's literally all that's left for these guys, Gabe. It's it's a shame. That's, it's really upsetting. I mean, they were they were poised to come back strong this year and and make a run uh, in in this league right now in the NFC that conference is so strong if they if there's a six game span where they're not fully healthy and they drop like three of those games it's going to be tough for them to recover make the wild card because that division is super good right now I agree and also we have to talk about uh, Atlanta and Green Bay. Rodgers, no picks yet in 2020. Robert Tanyan with three touchdown (laughs) catches, most by a Green Bay tight end in the Super Bowl era in a game. And it's just insane. No Devontae Adams, no Alan Lazard. The Packers were down to very few options, and Bob Tanyan came up key. And the Packers' defense held, although he was banged up, Calvin Ridley to no catches. What a game by Green Bay defensively and you know like i just said great week four james was the winner i was the loser but as you can see it was due to via a tiebreaker me and kyle both had 11 points we both had the same record so we went by our 20 20 points kyle had 48 i had 46 therefore i was the 
loser. My punishment will be explaining to you guys a video on why the New York football giants suck. Uh, <laughs> that video will be performed on Friday. It'll be up on our social media, hopefully by Friday evening, Saturday morning. We'll keep you updated with that. Everyone hit their lock this week. James and Gabe hit their upset. Congratulations, Gabe. Uh, really great work this week. And now we move on to week five. So they're all in. Remember, you can change these until tomorrow, until they lock. Due to COVID, we don't know if the Bills and Titans are going to play yet. And the New England game against Denver is also in jeopardy. So very quickly, uh, what do we take away from week four? Well, there's six unbeatens left. Bill O'Brien's fired. Ten Raiders were fined for no masks. And Dan Orlovsky actually said that this is the best thing for the Sean Watson to um, no longer have Bill O'Brien. And it's so insane that three of us picked the Texans to beat the Jaguars. Insane. Three of us picked the Texans for week five. We all picked Baltimore over the Bengals. Tampa Bay, Chicago, you have Chicago as your upset. And we'll see how that worked out for me last week. That's why I was a loser picking Chicago as my upset. But hopefully it gives you some better fortune, Gabe. <laughs> I, I do have confidence in them. I still think they they they've lost they lost against the Colts. And it was still like a loss that they could have eased they lost by eight points. That game felt like they lost by three touchdowns with how much the Colts dominated. But truthfully, the the Bears had a great chance to win that game still, and it's because of their defense. That defense will keep them in any game they play. And don't expect Tom Brady to have a field day like he did last week with five touchdowns versus Kyle Fuller, Jalen Johnson, and Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. Phenomenal pass rush, too. I agree 100%. Atlanta and Carolina, we are split. You and I have Atlanta. James and Kyle have the Panthers. Um, crazy that we're both going with an 0-4 team to beat a two <laughs> team, but the Falcons are home. They're hungry for a win. Dan Quinn's job is on the line. I, I think the Falcons are going to find a way to win this game. They did impress me at times against Green Bay on Monday night, Gabe, so it'll definitely be interesting. Uh, what do you think of Teddy Bridgewater so far this year in that offense? There was a lot of question marks with that offense coming into the year. I think he's handled himself very well. Without Christian McCaffrey, I wish he would get the ball to DJ Moore a little more. For yeah, season. me too. Oh, me too. But he loves Robbie Anderson. He loves Curtis Samuel. Uh, you know, kudos to him getting the ball out to those guys quickly. Um, yeah, well, that's what he always had. He had a super quick release with Minnesota. He was a check down guy, though. That's the part that bothered me so much. But Robbie Anderson, the fact that he's getting these 300-yard games with guys who could run deep routes, I think he's evolved his game now in, what, is an eighth season? He's been in the league so long, yet it feels like he's still a sophomore. (laughs) We all have the Chiefs beating the Raiders. Same with New England over Denver. And then everyone has the Cardinals over the Jets. Uh, Pittsburgh at Philadelphia, same thing, clean sweep. Wow, we're getting boring. Uh, same thing. I, I agree. I think I tried my hardest to to go for upsets this week because I felt I felt like I would just get into a tie break situation, and if we keep deadlocking, I'm always going to be the uh, get the punishment. Well, that's where the lock and upset come key. Picking the games right. you feel most confident kind of creates some good separation. I think uh, everyone has the Bills. I really think that's more because of Tennessee and their COVID situation. 
because we don't know who has the virus, who doesn't. So we don't know what type of team they're going to come out with if they even play on Sunday because two more positive cases were announced today. So hopefully they're able to squash that. And then we all have the Rams over the Washington football team. And I'm going to back up Ron Rivera with his decision to bench Dwayne Haskins because you have the lowest total quarterback rating through four weeks. And on fourth and goal with the game hanging in the balance still, you throw a four-yard checkdown pass at the 11-yard line, and you're going to sit here. And, and not to mention, Ron Rivera has no tie to Dwayne Haskins. He has ties to Kyle Allen. He's part of the reason why he's there. And I think Allen could potentially give a spark to this offense. What do you think about that? Yeah, and this is a team that if the Cowboys were playing to their full potential this year, seeing the rest of the division and the Eagles, if they were playing better, you would think, okay, the playoffs are out of the question at one and three if those teams are performing. But you're in a division right now where you're tied for first. Uh, so you really, really have a good shot right now to make the postseason. You want to win right now. Dwayne Haskins is your future, but Kyle Allen definitely gives them a better chance to win right now. And there is a lot of good talent on this defense. This defense might be the best defense right now in the division um, just because of the injuries to Dallas and the Eagles inconsistency. Uh, This Washington football team actually could be the division uh, winner this year. I can't believe you just said that. Wow. That's, that's a bold take. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be Dallas, but I wouldn't be shocked. Rivera is a seasoned coach. Um, Although point-wise, the Giants actually have the best defense in the division. It's insane. But um, Washington's been pretty respectable as well. I mean, they held Philadelphia. 14-point loss to, to the Ravens. That's not awful. No, no. it's not. Yeah. They, they've held their own for sure. They have good young talent. San Francisco, we all have them over Miami, although that could potentially be a trap game for them. Browns-Colts, this is the game of the week. I really don't know because – did the Browns win last week because of how bad Dallas is defensively, or are the Browns actually for real putting up 49 points? I mean, it's crazy to say that a team who scored 50 points last week and is being questioned at three and one for being a for real team is kind of crazy to process, right? Um, you picked the Colts in this game, but I kind of want your take on the Browns and what you're thinking. Well, we'll know really soon if they're for real. There's so many weaknesses on that Dallas defense and plays like Odell Beckham Jr. catching a pass from Jarvis Landry on an end around. Uh, Odell Beckham having a like 60-yard touchdown run on these crazy plays. These things don't happen to good defenses. This stuff won't be able to fly versus Indianapolis. Indianapolis might be the most well-rounded team in the NFL right now. And I think we'll know really soon which we what weaknesses Cleveland has this week you bring up a good point there although I do think if you have to pick an upset this week folks you should definitely consider Cleveland uh at home just my opinion but um John Suggs is a comment most impressive rookie so far wow this guy read my mind my pick will be Justin Herbert if they had defense they would be undefeated John Suggs I 90% agree with you. I don't think they would have beaten the Chiefs, although that game was very close and went into overtime. 
Uh, Justin Herbert should win Offensive Rookie of the Year in a perfect world, mainly because I think his team will produce more wins than Joe Burrow. Um, although Burrow could be a stat patter later on in the season. So it's really tough. I'll, I'll be honest. I think it's either one of those quarterbacks or uh, Gabe is your buddy. Kevin said last night on your show, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. I think those are your top three for Offensive Rookie of the Year right now. If Justin Jefferson doesn't uh, continue his completely insane tear uh, yardage-wise right now, then I could see it going to one of those guys. But Justin Jefferson right now is my leader if we were to rank it right now. Interesting. I think he is your new number two receiver, though. I think that's a good thing. You may- <laughs> he might be number one. If if Cousins the, – the problem is is Cousins just doesn't – like he wants to throw to Theo in every play. Jefferson can make these plays in traffic that quite honestly, I don't think Thielen can make the same catches. Uh, I think Jefferson, you could argue is just as good in some areas of the game. Uh, and he's only a, only a rookie. CD lamb too. Yeah, absolutely. CD lamb's been great. Uh, Giants, Cowboys, James, uh, I got to give him credit, man, sticking with his giants. We all have Dallas, uh, Seattle over Minnesota. Sorry, Gabe. It looks like Seattle is a clean sweep. Although I will give you this. I think Minnesota keeps it very, very close. I do. I thought Daniel Hunter was coming back this week. Apparently his in. It looks like Gabe froze there. Oh, I, can, there. I think I'm back now. Okay. okay. Yes, you are. Sorry about that. I'll You're go good. back to where I was. Talking about Daniil Hunter, I thought he was coming back off of IR this week. I actually misspoke. His injury might be season-threatening because of how complicated it is uh, with his neck. So with that said, Jamal Adams won't be playing for Seattle. That's great for Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, who love to go deep. Um, Jamal Adams also, you could argue, isn't even that great in the secondary as a pass uh, defender. He's much more of a run-stopper. So Dalvin Cook, I think, could have a lot of success in this game. It really – it's going to be a shootout. I don't know if you remember last year's Monday night football matchup between them, how it was in the 30s. Both teams scored in the 30s. Uh, Laquan Treadwell actually had a touchdown catch in that game, uh, and then he disappeared the rest of the year. <laughs> and and uh, But, yeah, I think this could be a shootout, and I, I think the Vikings have a good shot if we can just finish and play for four quarters. John Suggs says Vikings have five players out. Yep. We, well, if we count everybody, I think that's true. Yeah. I don't know if that's updated, like if that's because of COVID. I hope they didn't get COVID. But uh, no, yeah, we have injuries. Trust me. Our our team is is depleted at guard yeah. with Samia. We're depleted at linebacker. We're depleted in the secondary. Uh, there's definitely weaknesses and holes in this defense, but it is what it is. And then we got all the Saints clean sweep over the Chargers, lock and upset. I have Baltimore. Kyle has Arizona. You have the Chiefs, Gabe. And then James has the Bucks. Upsets. Kyle and myself have the Browns. You have the Bears. James has the Panthers. This should be very, very interesting. Uh, thank you guys for watching our quick picks. Um, it's crazy because – uh, one thing I forgot to bring up is that Bob Tanyan actually is tied with the most touchdown receptions in the NFL at five with Mike Evans. Just goes to show you 
is Bob, Bob or Robert. I'm going to call him Bob. Big <laughs> Bob. It's, his nickname is Big Bob. <laughs> big, big, big Bob. Okay. Uh, is, is he on a new level? Like, could he eventually emerge onto the scene as one of these outstanding tight ends? Or do you think he's kind of like a placeholder until those receivers come back? That's an excellent question. I think Aaron Rodgers is so excited to have a guy, a, a blanket like that, that he can count on. He hasn't had a really strong tight end since Jermichael Finley uh, about seven years ago. I think he is great because he has Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from him, but I he wasn't a, a clear-cut tight end number one coming into this year, and I think just playing with Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is creating this player, uh, Robert Tanyan, into a, a star, but we don't quite know how great he would be on any other team. And that's the beauty of Rogers. That's an excellent point you bring up there, Gabe. Uh, It's going to be very interesting to see as the Green Bay Packers by far have been the most impressive team in football through four weeks. First team in NFL history to score 30 plus points in their first four games without committing a single turnover. And on that note, that's going to do it for our show. Uh, Gabe, thanks for joining me tonight. Appreciate it. Uh, This was a long show, and we have another one tomorrow. New York Giants public figure Joe Ruback joins Big Blue Avenue tomorrow night. That will be Hank and Dichter and myself live from 7 to 8.30 p.m. That is right. We are going 90 minutes. We're going to devote an entire uh, segment to Joe and talk about those New York football Giants. You won't want to miss it. Gabe, Thank you very much one more time. This was awesome. Thank you for having me on, Tom. I appreciate it a lot. On behalf of Gabe Flayton, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live.